Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.01 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 9th of March, 2022, and this is episode 558 of Bitcoin. And say hello to yet another 4D3 million dollars that has been tacked on to the judgment already given to Craig Wright, a.k.a. Fake Toshi. Yes, in fact, it just hit the news wires, uh, I don't know, about an hour ago or something like that, uh, that Judge Bloom the presiding judge in the case of fake Toshi versus David Kleiman or Dave Kleeman versus fake Toshi. However that shit rolled out. She was basically head honcho judge and she has tacked on another $43 million to the judgment. Check it out. Carolyn Bellotto at Carolina Bellotto uh, on Twitter says that Judge Bloom has tacked on $43 million in pre-judgment interest to the already standing $100 million jury verdict against Craig Wright. And yet somehow we will see tweets from Craig Wright because yes, assholes back on Twitter and his sugar daddy, Calvin Ayer, saying that he's won, that somehow or another, this is yet another win for fake Toshi. I I don't know how, but what's even more interesting is the following. He has yet to pay a single red cent in the already standing $100 million jury verdict against him to the, to the, to the point that, and I don't know the name of the individual. I think it's a court officer has filed to filed basically what's called an enforcement order to get fake Toshi to start ponying up the hundred million dollars because he hasn't done it yet. Do I think that he's actually going to pay the hundred million or now the now $143 million? I doubt it. How do you enforce, how do you enforce that? So you don't pay, you get an enforcement order filed against you that gets approved by the court. And then you still don't pay. I mean, what happens next? You know, I I mean, obviously you're screaming at me. Well, look what they did in Canada. Yeah, that's from, you know, that's from the government against a whole shit ton of people. You think they're going to waste their time on one guy and a hundred million dollars? Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. So I'm not exactly sure what happens next, but it's clear that this shit did not go the way that Calvin Ayer and Craig Wright wanted it to go, no matter what they tell you. And so for all those people that are saying that he won the case, just please remind them that Judge Bloom has tacked on yet another $43 million. Now, Janet Yellen has lit slip details of Biden's executive order on crypto. 
Uh, it was apparently posted up to the SEC and then it was, uh, or the Treasury Department, and then it was taken down, the, this, uh, these notes that I'm about to read here. But apparently it is in fact the truth because it looks like he's going to sign this executive order. If he hasn't already, we're not sure, or at least I'm not sure yet. A statement from United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on President Joe Biden's executive order regarding digital assets calls for efforts to support innovation while addressing risk in the industry. I'm telling you guys, like I said yesterday, shit's gonna end up being a freaking nothing burger. By the way, this is Brian Neuer from Cointelegraph. Yellen's statement was released a day early, apparently by error, and quickly deleted, but was captured on a web archive. It shares early insights into the details of President Biden's soon-to-be-released executive order. The order will call for a coordinated and comprehensive approach to digital asset policy. Yellen's statement said that the executive order could result in substantial benefits for the nation, consumers, and businesses. Quote, it will also address risks related to illicit finance, protecting consumers and investors, and preventing threats to the financial system and broader economy. Of course, of course, of course. Yellen also outlined the next step the Treasury Department will take in learning to understand digital assets and how to regulate them within the parameters of the executive order. President Biden's White House has been working on an executive order related to digital assets since January, and an unnamed source told Barron's said will help give coherency to what the government is trying to do in the space. To assist the Treasury in its efforts, other agencies will collaborate and or collaborate to create a report. Okay, let's read that again because I screwed it up. To assist the Treasury in its efforts, other agencies will collaborate to create a report on the future of money and payment systems. This will be done with input from international actors in order to promote robust standards and a level playing field. Treasury will also convene the Financial Stability Oversight Council to determine if appropriate safeguards exist. These efforts will be added to the ongoing work that Yellen said her State Department or her department has already undertaken with the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency regarding stablecoins. The statement suggested that the executive order will have global implications as, quote, we will work with our international partners to promote robust standards, and a level playing field. Um, I smell cross-border payment action is what I smell. Not that it's going to work, just saying. Yellen also said that Treasury will continue to work with investor protection groups and various experts, and that, quote, Treasury will work to promote a fairer, more inclusive, and more efficient financial system, while building on our ongoing work to counter illicit finance and prevent risks to financial stability and national security. There has been a mis mixed reaction so far from prominent member members of the crypto community. Oh, prominent members of the crypto community, y'all. Uh, for the love of God. Founder of Weak in Ethereum, Evan Van Ness. Yes, let's go to Evan. Uh, called the statement a nothing burger of a statement. Oh, Jesus. I, I find myself literally saying the same shit as, as an Ethereum head. We're probably on to something, all things considered. But Altered State Machine founder Aaron McDonald shared somewhat more grave feelings about the statement. He tweeted that Yellen's sentiments show she is looking for a way to make sure we maintain the most powerful weapon in our military. The USD is a global settlement instrument. Yeah, well, he's probably not 
wrong. I'm just not exactly sure what can really be done about Bitcoin. I'm just not sure. There are so many, mo I mean, when you get right down to the, what's the base layer of Bitcoin, it's a communications protocol. It sends messages. And guess what? Those messages are not heavy messages. They're, they're not long. They're not megabytes long, you know, hundreds of kilobytes long or terabytes long. That's one of the reasons why we kept the block size as, as small as we have. And each particular transaction that you can shove inside of those blocks are, are really tiny. They're just messages that say, yes, I am me. I am sending this amount of Bitcoin or transferring the keys to this amount of Bitcoin to this wallet. And honestly, it's not even the keys. You're basically just using your keys to vector an amount of Bitcoin to somebody else's private keys. And then they get control of that Bitcoin. You, you've transferred ownership. And that's all the message does. These are light messages. And because they're so light, because they are so, I don't know, non-data heavy, the amount of cracks that these messages can fit through pretty much, you know, you, I don't know what wall, what data wall that you can construct to keep these tiny ass messages out, which I go back to years ago when I first had to figure out what side of the big block war I was on. And at first I was like, well, why not? Blah, blah, blah. Because I didn't know any better. But as I figured it out, I was like, no, we need to keep this shit as small as possible. We need to keep transactions tiny. We need to keep, and when I mean tiny, I mean the weight of data being transferred. That, that tiny. As to how much you transfer, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change the, the data weight, right? But once you get into big blocks and transactions that do a whole bunch of shit, well, all of a sudden, you can start getting stuck inside the cracks that we can fit through right now. And that's why I went to the small block size. Anyway, I do, I hate to agree with Evan Van Ness because he is an ETH head, but he's, I think it's a nothing burger. I think what, what, what Biden did was call a meeting and they're going to write a report. If the executive order had been, we're making Bitcoin illegal, I still would have laughed, but it would have crashed the price $10,000 almost overnight. But that's not what happened, is it? They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure out how they can make it work in their favor. And the problem is this is a two-edged sword, 100%. Because they didn't build it, it is only nothing and will ever be nothing but a two-edged sword. And they can kill themselves on it just as easily as they can stab somebody with it. And that's one of the reasons why I Bitcoin. Now, let's see. What else is up here? Oh, good Lord. <clears throat> let's have... I have a, uh, a tweet, a small tweet thread from Beautyon on this Biden executive order leak. It is at, uh, oh, at Beautyon, B-E-A-U-T-Y-O-N underscore. If you don't know who Beautyon is, I highly recommend that you follow that account. Good account to follow. He's hideously underfollowed, but he's been around forever. He's one of the first people that I was like, I think I can listen to this guy and he won't steer me the wrong way. Okay, so he says, Biden executive order leak. 
These incompetent, senile geriatrics can't keep a press release secret. How can anyone expect them to control the supply of money or write the specification for a CBDC that can't be backdoored? Pro tip, they can't. The future of money and payment systems don't come about by decree. Only communists think innovation can be created by the state. All Bitcoiners, Bitcoin companies, and developers are now in a race to avoid extermination. This means building on a Manhattan Project intensity. While the enemy scrambles to figure out what E equals MC squared means, Bitcoiners have an opportunity to spread BTC everywhere. By the time the geriatrics figure it all out, it'll be too late. This is why all newspapers, banks, Apple, level actors, and others should integrate Bitcoin ASAP and on the nation state level. This is an opportunity to take the hook of the US dollar out of your noses and balance your economies. It looks like South America may be doing it. This report is actually a good thing. It will put the brakes on the work of the imbeciles trying to get legislation passed to define Bitcoin law. Legislatures will now adopt a wait and see policy and will only act after the task force work is completed and the report is published. No one asked you dullards to run to the state, idiots. Learn to code and don't bet against America. These are good words by Beautyon. See, this is what, and I've been saying the same shit. We have this window of opportunity and it's a rather large window of opportunity because we know how long it takes for these assholes to do anything. This shit won't be cleared up before 2025. And if it is cleared up, it will simply just be a, a recommendation report. And then it will take a couple of years after that for any kind of implementation steps to occur or even be drafted in it. And if they do go through a one-year, two-year drafting process, it's going to take a couple of years after that for implementation. And guess what happened during those five, let's say, let's say it all happens in three years. Guess what happened? The emergent of pro properties of Bitcoin have been seized upon by another 150 individuals who are smart as fuck and literally don't like the state. What do you think is going to happen? I'd listen to Beauty on on this one if I were you, but Senator Warren won't because she seizes on fears over crypto and sanctions with new bill, says Brian Quarmby out of Cointelegraph. United States Senator Elizabeth Warren Focahontas is preparing a bill to crack down on the use of crypto as a way to avoid economic sanctions. Oh, it's such bullshit. Warren's latest anti-crypto move comes alongside a push from the U.S. government to stamp out the possibility of Russia using crypto to skirt a host of economic sanctions placed on the nation. According to a Tuesday report from NBC News, one of the provisions of Warren's new crypto bill, still in its draft form, will require local crypto exchanges to submit, quote, detailed records to the Treasury Department of customers' identities and transfers to private crypto wallets. It also aims to force companies to choose between doing business in the United States or with sanctioned people and entities by threatening secondary sanctions on foreign crypto exchanges. They're going to sanction personal private companies. Yay! The Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network is also working towards drafting similar requirements based on Warren's bill, according to NBC. <clears throat> Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Digital Transformation Alex Bornyakov has been calling for crypto exchanges to ban Russian users for the past week or so. However, 
top crypto exchanges such as Binance, Coinbase, and Kraken have all said that they won't implement a blanket ban, but have emphasized their commitment to being compliant with the United States sanctions. Senator Warren has been highly skeptical of the sector for quite some time. In 2021 alone, she labeled DeFi as the most dangerous part of crypto. Pause. She's not wrong. Right now, the way DeFo, DeFo, the way DeFi looks right now, the way it acts, the way it's worked, the way it's presented is in fact one of the shittiest shitholes you can find yourself in ever. Stay as far fucking away from that goddamn thing as you possibly can. I guarantee you're going to get burned. You will get burned. Now, DeFi later on, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like later on. It, 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 could, be, it could be valuable. But right now, stay away from it. And in this case, I agree with Senator Warren. She introduced a bill to study crypto's role in ransomware and slammed the Ethereum network for its high fees during a committee hearing. I also agree with her. So it's little surprise to industry observers she has seized on the opportunity to push for tougher regulation. Warren, who was among a group of senators to write a Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen about the issue last week, noted on Twitter earlier today that her bill will, quote, Ensure crypto isn't used by Putin and his cronies to undermine our economic sanctions, end quote. Oh, fuck you. While the idea of Russia using crypto to evade sanctions has been grabbing the headlines, experts such as Jank Chernevsky, or Chervinsky, sorry, Cher, sorry, Jake, uh, Chervinsky, it's Chervinsky, head of policy at crypto policy promoter, the Blockchain Association, have argued that the nation can't and won't use crypto to avoid sanctions. Chervinsky cited the scale of the Russian state's monetary needs exceeding the capabilities of crypto markets, sanctions barring U.S. businesses and citizens from transacting with Russia regardless of the payment used, and a lack of Russian crypto infrastructure to support the demand. His arguments did not address the question of individual Russians using crypto to evade sanctions, however. Warren's regulatory push comes just a week after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell and a group from the House of Representatives called for congressional action on crypto in relation to Russia. Powell stated that the situation with Russia emphasizes the need to introduce robust regulatory frameworks in the sector to prevent these unbacked cryptocurrencies from serving as a vehicle for terrorist financing and just general criminal behavior, tax avoidance, and the like. Yeah, that was, that was a direct quote. Earlier this week, FinCEN sent out, sent out an alert for all financial institutions to be vigilant against Russia's efforts to evade U.S. sanctions. The types of means listed include the use of corporate vehicles to secure asset ownership and sources of funds, shell companies to conduct international wire transfers, use of third parties to shield identity, and newly established accounts to send or receive funds from a sanctioned institution. The FinCEN alert stated, quote, it is critical that all financial institutions, including those with visibility into CVC flows, such as CVC exchangers and administrators identify and quickly report suspicious activity associated with potential sanctions, evasions, <clears throat> and conduct appropriate risk-based customer due diligence or where required enhanced due diligence. All right, so essentially Warren, Warren uh, is on war in Russia. It almost rhymes. Except the, the, the sad fact of the matter is, is that it's now become evident 
and it should have been evident for to everybody all over the world, but I think it's becoming painfully clear that the only people that are going to get hurt by any of this shit is going to be regular old-fashioned citizens. Russian citizens, Ukrainian citizens, United States citizens, European Union citizens, the oligarchs of all of those that I have just mentioned and more won't suffer a single thing. If they do, it will not hurt like it hurts regular old-fashioned citizens like you and me. They don't give a shit. Just saw Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report saying that he would gladly pay $2 more per gallon of gas, $3 even, for this war against Putin to stop Putin in his tracks. Well, Steve, that's because you get paid a fuck ton of money by people who are advertising on your show who take our money for shit we don't need, i.e. Pfizer who apparently has asked for delisting of certain bonds on the NYSE, but I'm not even going to get into that because I don't understand exactly what's going on. I just thought I'd mention that. Now, moving on. Credit Suisse strategist says we're witnessing the birth of a new world monetary order. Coindesk, Stephen Alfer, former Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury Department official, and now... Credit Suisse short-term rate strategist Zoltan Pozar. Oh my God, is that really Poser? He's a Poser, whatever. Anyway, he has written the U.S. is in a commodity crisis that is giving rise to a new world monetary order that will ultimately weaken the current dollar-based system and lead to higher inflation in the West. Quote, the crisis is not like anything we have seen since President Nixon took the United States dollar off of gold in 1971. Yeah. Negotiated by 44 countries as World War II was winding down, the Bretton Woods Agreement pegged gold as the basis for the United States dollars and other currencies then pegged to the greenback. This structure began to fray in the 1960s as United States trade deficits became too large to ignore and it fell apart completely in 1971 when the United States abandoned the link between the dollar and gold. As the initial Bretton Woods era from 1944 to 1971 was backed by gold and Bretton Woods II, 1971 to present, backed by inside money, essentially United States government paper, said Poser, Bretton Woods III will be backed by outside money, gold and other commodities. Poser marks the end of the current monetary regime as the day the G7 nation seized Russia's foreign exchange reserves following the latter's invasion of Ukraine. What had previously been thought of as risk-free became risk-free no more as non-existent credit risk was instantly substituted for very real confiscation risk. What occurred surely isn't lost upon China, and Poser sees the People's Bank of China faced with two alternatives to protect its own interests, either sell treasury bonds to buy Russian commodities or do its own quantitative easing, i.e. print renminbi to buy Russian commodities, Poser expects both scenarios mean higher yields and higher inflation in the West. Poser concluded his note with a comment about Bitcoin. He expects it to benefit, but only if it still exists. So I think Poser doesn't understand exactly what Bitcoin is from a technological standpoint, I think what, but I think what he does know is what it means to people, what it means to the world 
as being a global currency that was created by no government and no government has control over it. And so the, the instant that people that don't understand the underlying technology, the minute that they seize upon that, they go, well, then governments will just make it illegal. That is a completely logical step to take. I, I, I fault no one for saying that off the cuff when they don't understand what it is that we know about Bitcoin. I go back to my earlier statements in this podcast. The size of the data message is what is this is the very base of Bitcoin. Its security is part of that. The fact that it can send secure messages that cannot be copied and cannot be resent to different people, because that's essentially what we're talking about. It is simply a secured message. And once that message is sent to the new owner of that message, that message is buried in amber upon amber upon amber upon amber. And after you get about six layers deep, i.e. six blocks worth of transactions, you ain't breaking that son of a bitch message back out. If it's a huge message, then the chances of it being intercepted and stalled in transit becomes large as well. The smaller the message, the less chance of interception, the less chance of being able to kill it. We want the smallest messages possible, people. And that's why even layer two and layer three should probably want to keep their messaging small. When you get to layers, maybe six and seven, maybe then you can get into the large messages, but understand the larger the message, the more surface area of attack it will have because it can be seen, it can be located, it can be annihilated. The smaller it is, the less likely it is to be noticed. You see how this works? Just saying, liquidity issues, for patient accumulators, economic liquidity issues present massive Bitcoin opportunity. Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. The meltdown in equity and credit markets is occurring while the yield curve, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield minus the two-year U.S. Treasury yield, is flattening in a very dramatic way. The yield curve is of great importance of the financial system due to the way that lending is conducted. Most creditors borrow short to lend long, i.e. take on short-dated liabilities and acquire long-dated assets. So when the yield curve inverts, it means that creditors are more incentivized to hold short-dated government paper than they are to lend out for duration. The implications of short-dated yields being higher than long-dated means it is also less risky to hold cash than it is to invest in risk assets even with negative real yields that sell off with weak economic activity. This leads to liquidity issues in the economic system, and it is why a yield curve inversion has predated every recession in the United States since the 1960s. The most jarring aspect of the current environment is the reality that the Fed funds rate is still near 0%, with re recession indicators flashing bright red. The SPX is rising as the percent yield spread declines. Right? That's just what's going on, apparently. So it would be wise to warn our readers that despite being extremely bullish on Bitcoin's prospects over the long term, the current macroeconomic outlooks look extremely weak. Any excessive leverage 
present in your portfolio should be reevaluated. Bitcoin in your cold storage is perfectly safe, while mark-to-market leverage is not. For willing and patient accumulators of Bitcoin, the current and potential future price action should be viewed as a massive opportunity. If a liquidity crisis is to play out, indiscriminate selling of Bitcoin will occur along with every other asset in a rush to dollars. What is occurring during this time is essentially a short squeeze of dollars. The response will be a deflationary cascade across financial markets and global recession if this is to unfold. This is why we prefer to maintain a multi-year, even multi-decade lookout on Bitcoin as it is our belief that the response to this event will be only one viable solution, more stimulus. This will likely come in the form of yield curve control where the Federal Reserve monetizes any amount of debt securities across various durations at a certain level of yield. Quantitative easing is a fixed amount of money printing at any price Yield curve control is, in theory, an unlimited amount of printing to maintain a certain price. This is where the system is headed, at least in our view, and this is why we own Bitcoin. This is why I Bitcoin too. I don't want to worry about any of this shit. Half of it I can barely even freaking understand. I'm serious, guys. I'm not, I mean, to be a professional in the legacy financial markets, the amount of life that you were given by the Lord our God, or whatever you believe in, a good portion of that has to be completely spent to figure out the vagaries of this bullshit system. And you cannot go fishing with that time. You cannot spend time with your son because you've given your time to try to understand what the fuck a yield curve is. We've been so distracted throughout our entire lives and the lives of our parents and the lives of our grandparents that we have been led to believe that any of this crap really matters. And what sucks is that right now it actually does because it affects what we do, where we do it, when we do it, and how much we can do it. But in the grand scheme of why the earth was created and the beauty that you can go outside and witness if you are not blinded by this bullshit, yeah, it's stu- it's it doesn't even make sense that this kind of stuff exists in the same on the same planet that we do. There's so much beauty outside. There's so many things to go do and so many things to grow and so many so much stuff to actually build that does things and none of this does anything but make people bored and or depressed. I didn't want to know about any of this shit. I didn't want to know about economics. And yet here I am trying to figure out yield curve inversion and the calculation of a yield curve being the 10-year yield minus the two-year yield and who the hell's going long and who the hell's going short and with what kind of fucking leverage. Honestly, is, does that even sound like a good way to spend the precious minutes of the life that you were given? <laughs> is that really what we want to be doing? It sure as shit is not what I want to be doing. And here I go running the numbers. Okay, flammable liquids taking a, a taking a big old dump. They're getting doused pretty hardcore as well as metals. Uh, West Texas Intermediate down five and a third percent to 116 bucks a barrel. 
Brent North Sea down five and a half percent to one hundred and twenty dollars and ninety eight cents. Natural gas down almost nothing, uh, holding at four dollars and fifty two cents per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline down four point one three percent to three dollars and fifty three cents. So we're going to see some relief at the pumps. Gold is down two and a third, back below two thousand dollars. Silver down two point one eight to $26.30. Platinum is down 3.6. Copper is down 2.5. Palladium down just over 2%. Uh, agricultural futures are mostly down. Wheat taking the biggest hit, 4.5% to the downside. Soybeans are up a half. Corn is down 0.83. Sugar is down 1.6. Coffee down 1.6 as well. Dow is going to be up 1.79%. Uh, S&P up almost 2%, NASDAQ up 2.5%, S&P mini is up 1.74%, but real money is holding at $41,842 after we got a little bit of a bounce. Not sure if it'll hold since all the other commodities, since not other, since the commodities are, are, are falling off and the Dow, is, Dow and the rest of the indices are rising, We'll have to see if this uh, for above $40,000 uh, mark holds. That's going to be an interesting price. <clears throat> for that, uh, 458,000 BTC sent in the last 24 hours. That's uh, 19,125 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.77 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.014 BTC or about $577. Block time is low, 9 minutes, 40 seconds, 0 0.06 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 10 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours with a three and a third percent rise in hash rate. We are up to 204.85 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is back up above 12 United States pennies to 12.2 pennies. Uh, 12,700, no, just flipped over. 12,800 transactions waiting on 10 blocks to clear. Uh, $799.2 billion of market cap is 6.09% of gold's total market cap. We may now purchase, if we so choose, with our one Bitcoin, 21.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks. There are 18,978,471.14 BTC in circulation at the time except for the 3,500 that are locked in the Lightning Network, which is valued at $147.1 million, being run over 20,141 nodes that we know about, sporting 85,697 public payment channels, and 75.8% of it all is being run over by, uh, being run over Tor, and it's 11,667 associated nodes, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start off with demothballing the daily train wrecked. President Biden, what say you? And I quote, we are enforcing an enormous package of economic sanctions that has caused the Russian economy to crater. The Russian ruble is down almost 50% since Putin announced his war. It is now worth less than one American penny. Well, I'm hope you're, I hope you're proud of yourself there, uh, Biden. I really do. 
you know, there's only like, you know, several million civilians in Russia that depended on their wealth to be able to go, I don't know, buy bread for their children and their grandchildren. You know, I don't know what you're so fucking happy about. These are just people. And I'm getting real sick, really freaking sick of everybody ignoring the fact that the majority of the people that get hurt are the citizenry who have nothing to do with their Politburo or their Duma or the Congress or a House of Parliament because we've all been separated. There are only two classes at this point, ladies and gentlemen. There are the Politburo or whatever you want to call the cadre of people that are quote unquote elected officials and their rich ass friends. And when I mean rich, I mean super freaking rich. I'm not talking like, you know, five, 10, $15 million in the bank. That ain't rich. At this point, that's upper middle class. Didn't used to be that way, but it is now. I'm talking about super billionaires like Bill Gates and shit like that. No, I'm not calling for their money to be taken away from them. I am calling for Bitcoin to make their fucking money worthless. I'm calling for that. Except that what would I be calling for? Well, I'd kind of be calling for the same shit that Biden's calling for here. The destruction of the wealth of individual people upon this planet. I don't really think either attitude is, is, is very good. I don't think it's helpful. And I, I certainly don't think it's constructive. Do I like Bitcoin? Obviously, I've been doing this podcast for over three years. But I don't want somebody's wealth destroyed because they don't understand the new technology. But what I really don't want is people like this asshole who is sitting here. This is, this is actually worse than Hillary Clinton saying, we came, we saw, he died. In that pre-interview segment that they were running on was either 2020 or 60 minutes. It was Barbara Walters or something interviewing her ass. And it was when Saddam or no, Gaddafi got killed by his own people and a bayonet shoved up his butt. That's how he died. You know, that this, this hooting and hollering about this stuff has got to stop and it won't. But what can stop is our belief in it. If, if we wave a flag every time Mr. Potato Head sits down and says he's destroyed the wealth of some babushka in Russia and we're sitting there going, yay, that needs to stop. These are simply people who want to live and have children and hold their grandbabies and take them for walks in a park. That's what we should be doing. But no, what are we doing? We're sitting around a bunch of television screens, whether they're being fed by computers or, you know, like we're watching Netflix, which is, yes, I know, being fed by computers, but you get my drift. We're raw-rawing about people losing their livelihoods. Yay, fuck the truckers in Canada. Why? What Did, did they really screw you? Because they honked their horn? And what did Babushka do in, in central Russia who has like, you know, living in a village of 1,500 people who has literally no wealth because the ruble went to un, like a sub one United States penny. And my commander in chief, supposedly the leader of the free world is saying, yay. I'm embarrassed at this point to have any affiliation with this idiot and any of the people that serve for him and believe in him. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. I can't stand these people because I know what they're doing to people that I would probably want to be friends with in some other country, some other time. 
stop listening to these people. Crypto.com has given their users in excluded countries one week to repay all of their loans. Present jaw, Cointelegraph. Crypto.com is reportedly giving users from countries restricted from its loan program until March the 15th to repay all of their crypto loans. The firm updated the list of restricted countries to include the United States, the United Kingdom, and 38 other countries. Users from European nations such as Germany, Switzerland, and the UK have all shared emails from the company regarding the loan closure date. And it is worth noting that some of these users who do not have crypto loans on the platform have also received emails. According to the new policy, if users fail to repay their loans by March 15th, their collateral will be sold and their loan positions will be closed by the exchange. Crypto.com did not respond to Cointelegraph's request for comments. The sudden policy changes left Crypto.com customers anguished and in disbelief, with many claiming that the exchange's recent splurge on advertisements and marketing has started to take its toll on its balance sheet. The exchange's aggressive marketing splurge over the last year has raised many eyebrows, given the company, unlike many other crypto unicorns, hasn't raised all that much capital from investors. Crypto.com's marketing budget, which includes millions being spent on celebrity endorsements, buying of arenas, and much more, have been a topic of discussion on the internet for quite a while. However, the sudden change in its lending policy has only made the theory more prominent. Crypto lending products have been under regulatory scanners for well over a year now, with several crypto firms getting a security violation notice from respective state regulators. Gemini and Celsius offered lending products that came under U.S. Securities and Exchange investigation in January, while BlockFi was slapped with a $100 million penalty for offering unregistered crypto lending products back in February. Ladies and gentlemen, do not take loans with your Bitcoin. And... I'll, I'll extend that to shitcoin users as well. Don't do it. You should sell your shitcoins and buy Bitcoin, but you, what's even, you know, what's even better, I will not even, that, that's the best case scenario. The next best case scenario is to not lend out your crypto to these goons. It, I don't know exactly what this is. I'd call it a rug pull, but we won't know for sure until after all this shit is said and done. After March 15th, we're going to start looking at what happens to crypto.com. If they file bankruptcy, I'm calling a rug pull. And I don't know exactly what jurisdiction they're in to file bankruptcy to, but whatever the version of that is, I'm going to be watching for that. If they try to come back from the quote unquote, the dead, then I'll think that maybe they are, are trying their best. As to whether or not this shit has anything to do with their marketing budget, I don't know. That's pure conjecture. The only thing that is not conjecture is they gave you almost zero time. It probably like these loans were probably taken out at $69,000 of Bitcoin at the height of the market, right? That's back in November. We're talking like what, where were we at? Like that's like five months out. That's a short-term loan. So I'll bet you a shit ton of those people that took out these loans that are being called back are going to have to pony up a serious amount of cash and they don't have the collateral value versus the fiat US dollar to be able to pay it back and they're going to lose their Bitcoin. This is why I cold storage. This is why I do not lend out my shit. This is why I don't keep crap on exchanges. This is exactly why I don't trade Bitcoin with or without leverage. I don't do it. 
because I keep getting reminded by stuff like this that this is what's going to happen to my Bitcoin. I'm going to lose it. I buy Bitcoin. I hold Bitcoin. I and I wait and I watch and I try to learn as much as I possibly, possibly can. Bitcoin is insurance against a state gone rogue, says Yosef Tetik from Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, it would have to be, it would, it, it would have been nice, sorry, it would have been nice to get this attention in any other context. WikiLeaks has kicked the hornet's nest and the swarm is headed towards us. Satoshi Nakamoto. A clash between Bitcoiners and the establishment has been around the corner for a long time. <clears throat> Satoshi's quote above illustrates a common concern over the inevitable conflict. We all wish for the masses to first learn about Bitcoin as the neutral money that it is and not as a tool that aids potentially controversial causes. The state won't accept a fair competition between fiat and non-state money as fiat would inevitably lose. Instead, it will try to portray Bitcoin and its proponents as enemies of a civilized society. Recent developments in Canada have been instrumental in our understanding of how the conflict between Bitcoiners and the state can proceed. For those not familiar with the situation, I recommend this recent article by Jesse Willems. In Canada, we have witnessed a non-surprising failure of centralized fundraising platforms, but the Bitcoin-based fundraiser also had its shortcomings. Admittedly, nobody expected the Canadian government would quell a peaceful protest and its supporters with such a heavy-handed approach so it's understandable that the organizers weren't overly paranoid when setting the whole damn thing up. Even though the Bitcoin-based fundraiser could navigate around the censorship that legacy platforms and payment systems have to conform to, it still encountered severe problems. First, the identities of the organizers are known. So the distribution of the funds to the protesters could now become an offense. Sadly, this seems to be the case as shown in Nobody Caribou's tweet below. Second, the fundraiser Bitcoin addresses are known and promptly became subject of a government blacklist. So regulated institutions could no longer accept funds from such addresses. This limits the fungibility of the funds, even if they find their way to the individual protesters. And third, blockchain analysis could reveal the donors' addresses and potentially also their identities if the addresses were linked to a regulated exchange. These donors could then become the target of government harassment in various forms like prosecution, employment problems, frozen accounts, tax audits, etc., etc. And here is the tweet they're talking about from Nobody Caribou. It says, looks like I'm a defendant in a class action lawsuit now. I guess that's the cost for helping support freedom-loving, law-abiding, peaceful Canadians who just wanted to be heard by politicians. Freedom isn't free. Might need to start a tally coin to raise funds for legal help. <laughs> the Canadian government has chosen to employ a nasty tactic of weaponizing the financial system against the protesters and their supporters. Bank accounts of truckers and some supporters have been frozen, putting these individuals along with their families in a critical situation. This alarming overreach in a G7 country, nonetheless, proves what Bitcoiners have been pointing out for years, that today's monetary system is far from neutral and can become subject to politically motivated censorship. 
Yeah, that's spelling weaponized the wrong way, by the way. One of the most powerful aspects of Bitcoin is its neutrality. Anyone in the world can use it without asking permission. Bitcoin has thus empowered individuals that would never be granted such permission. Individuals like the dissenters in oppressive regimes or Afghani women. But to fully leverage Bitcoin's capabilities of censorship resistance, two basic rules need to be adhered to. One, self-custody. If you don't hold your own keys, you don't own Bitcoin. As Kraken CEO Jesse Powell recently pointed out, an exchange will always comply with government requests to hand over customer data along with their funds. The only way to mitigate this risk is to withdraw all coins from any exchanges that you may use. And might I add, do it now. Number two, privacy. Bitcoin by itself can be used privately, but when users link their real-world identities to their Bitcoin addresses, they lose that option. Buying Bitcoin at exchanges that ask for user IDs leads to privacy loss, as all transactions are trackable via Bitcoin's public blockchain. So the exchange knows the user's withdrawal addresses and all the subsequent addresses where the funds are moved to. There are tools like CoinJoin to break these links and regain the lost privacy, but the best option is to never lose the privacy in the first place. Learn to buy Bitcoin without doxing yourself. Uh, you know, use HODL HODL or BISQ, B-I-S-Q, by the way. Now, <clears throat> the common critique is that since Bitcoin has the capabilities of censorship resistance and privacy, it can also be used for nefarious purposes, such as money laundering or terrorist financing. But the curious truth is that only 0.15% of all the digital asset transactions have been linked to illicit activities. And most of those are exploits of notoriously buggy Ethereum apps. The inconvenient truth is that terrorists and money launderers stick to dollars, either in cash or through corrupt banks. Self-custody combined with privacy is crucial, not only because of possible government overreach, but also because of the private sector criminals. Exchanges with their user data sets are lucrative targets for hackers that use this data to hack into individual accounts, attempt to fish their victims, or even sell the data to more hardcore criminals that may evade Bitcoiners' homes. If you need some motivation to strengthen your privacy, read through Jameson Lopp's list of known physical Bitcoin attacks. The swarm, as Satoshi described in uh, the government agents, <clears throat> will always be upon us all the way to the end game of hyper-Bitcoinization. <clears throat> It's tempting to be lulled by Michael Saylor's fiery sermons or Fidelity's flattering studies putting Bitcoin up on a pedestal. But the well-capitalized, well-connected power movers will always hold their own, no matter what happens to the common men fighting for their livelihoods. The sailors of the world don't need self-custody and privacy, but most of us do. We cannot afford frozen accounts, prolonged court battles, legal costs should the establishment turn against us for exercising our civil rights. Self-custody and privacy are our defense against the arbitrary nature of the state's crackdowns. Open source tools are the ultimate means of defense. Crowdfunding campaigns can be hosted via BTC Pay Server, a powerful self-hosted payments gate. All the funds raised this way can go straight to an open source hardware wallet such as Treasure. Tre uh, Trezor. As BTC Pay Server provides users with an option to link their hardware wallet. And if the government in the particular region prevents users from buying hardware wallets from the market, they can be assembled from commonly accessible parts. Government may be able to stop the middlemen, 
They can't stop millions of independent sovereign individuals using tools only they can control. I'm going to say that shit one more time for everybody to listen to. So listen up. Government may be able to stop the middlemen, but they can't stop millions of independent sovereign individuals using tools only they can control. Let that one sink in deep, ladies and gentlemen. Millions of sovereign individuals using tools that only they can control. It's probably one of the most powerful sentences I've ever read on this show. Take that one to heart. Put it on a bumper sticker. Put it on the back of a t-shirt. Fly it on a fucking flag outside your house. I don't care. But listen to that sentence. It's the most powerful thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Woo! Opting out of the legacy fiat structures and taking possession over what is rightfully ours is the ultimate form of protest. Bitcoin is an insurance against a state gone rogue. We should thank the government of Canada for reminding us of the true value of independent money. Bitcoin. Again, that was Yosef Tetik, and I've read a few of his pieces before, but that one was on fire. Wow, I wish I had just ended the show with that one, you know, to be quite frank. But I didn't end the show on that one, so we got at least this one. Estonia, being the pussies that they are, has called to restrict crypto amid fears of Russian sanctions and evasion. Oh my God, the Russians. Uh, Sorry, guys, it just... It, it hurts every, it hurts to watch the bullshit. It just does. Anyway, this is Scott Cipollina, noted Bitcoin hater from Decrypt.co. Estonia's prime minister, Kaja Kallis, has warned against the use of crypto to avoid sanctions amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine, per Reuters. Quote, our focus must be on full isolation of Russia from the free world, Kallis reportedly told the United States Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, earlier today. <clears throat> Callis also reportedly said all Russian and Belarusian banks must be removed from the SWIFT payment system and cryptocurrencies should be restricted to close possible sanctions loopholes. <clears throat> Estonia's prime minister is the latest in a growing line of public officials and bodies concerned about Russia using cryptocurrencies to evade sanctions levied against it over the invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's vice prime minister, Mr. Fedorov, first called on crypto exchanges to ban Russian users on February the 27th, three days after Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, concerns were echoed by France's finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, on March the 2nd. Le Maire said the European Union was, quote, taking measures to prevent Russia from using cryptocurrency to evade sanctions. And two days later, Japan's financial services regulator and crypto industry body began assessing how Russia might evade sanctions through the use of crypto. The United States has also been concerned about the risk. As early as October of last year, the United States Treasury published a report that said cryptocurrencies could undermine sanctions, a long-established cornerstone of American foreign policy. The report said digital assets offer malign actors opportunities to hold and transfer funds outside the caller-based financial system. To date, Many cryptocurrency exchanges have not issued a blanket ban on Russian users, citing that no legal grounds exist to do so while reiterating they would nonetheless comply with a government-imposed instruction. 
The, there are several ways cryptocurrency can be used to evade sanctions. One such example is ransomware. Crane Hassel, former FBI agent and current director of threat intelligence at Abnormal Security, recently told Decrypt cryptocurrencies were the primary factor driving the modern ransomware industry. Quote, it essentially allows the overall ransomware payments that we've previously seen to scale to numbers that are pretty crazy. According to a United Nations report, North Korea, which is frequently engaged in cryptocurrency-related ransomware, also part fi partly financed its nuclear and ballistic missile programs through cryptocurrency. Bitcoin mining, which President Putin has previously said Russia has a competitive advantage in, is another option. To date, though, it's not clear whether the Russian government has bought any Bitcoin. I'll bet you they're mining it, though. Lastly, Russia could still turn to non-compliant exchanges to access cryptocurrencies, a risk that has already materialized in the past. Quote, we've seen instances before of crypto asset exchanges, exchange services that were complicit in enabling Russia-based criminals to launder large amounts of money, said David Carlisle, director of policy and regulatory affairs at blockchain analytics firm Elliptic during a recent online webinar. One such example was the SUEX exchange, which the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, sanctioned back in September of 2021 under Executive Order 13694, which authorized the imposition of sanctions on those complicit in cyber activity against the interests of the United States. All right, so there you go. Everybody, including Estonia, is, is deeply concerned about the possibility that Russia may evade sanctions. Is it truly the case that Estonia gives one rat's ass what Russia does with its money? I mean, ta I'm talking reality. If Russia evades sanctions, they're not going to be able to do it like with every single, you know, asset that they have. Right, so what what what's what's Estonia really worried about? You know, honestly, Estonia. Non, if you're Estonian, forgive me for the following, but you're not a major player upon the world stage. What do you give a shit? You know, and honestly, I want to make sure that I separate the Estonian citizenry from the Estonian governmental organizations. It is become very clear to me that there are two classes in the world and that's the citizenry. And I've said it before, I'm going to say it again because it's important. There's the citizens of the world. And then there's these people that play these parts and they dress up in costumes and they pretend to be speaking for certain groups of people around the world. I put it to you that this is a bullshit play that all the world's a stage and we, the audience, are being played for fools because we bought the fucking tickets. We have every option to leave the show, focus on ourselves and on our families and on what we can do for our own futures. We have that option. Yes, we will have to be in the shadow of the theater in which all this shit plays out, but we don't have to sit down and we don't have to pay a ticket for it. Although we will be taxed for the upkeep of the theater, I get that part. I understand you. I've heard you. I know that you're yelling in the background saying, Dave, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Some, in some things, I don't. This one, I know what I'm talking about because I don't need a degree in politics to understand that we need to start separating the people of a country from the people who say they speak for the people of that country. 
And if we don't do that, then we're going to always fall into the trap of Russia bad. Oh my God, you're a Russian. You must be bad. No, they're not. They probably have to sit on a toilet to shit. Some of them sit down to pee. Others stand up to pee. Some wear pants, some wear dresses. Most have the ability to reproduce other human beings. All of us need food. We all need to drink water and we all need to breathe air. If we can look at those basic functions that we share amongst each other, then maybe we can look at each other with a certain level of humanity again. Because what we're being forced to do is look at each other through the lens of what Biden sees and what Kamala Harris sees and what Bruno Le Maire sees and what all these other assholes in their costumes upon the stage acting their little hearts out. We're looking through their lenses. We're looking at them and they're reflecting you back through the lenses. I'm seeing you through them. And that's not right. That's not right. God, it's just, it's just not. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Hey, what do you call a place that makes okay products? A satisfactory. All right, so I apologize for the rantiness today, but it's starting to, it's, all this bullshit has, start, has just really kind of gotten to me. And it's not just the war in Ukraine and, and all the weirdness that we've seen. It's that I was asking myself the, que- the, the question this morning is that, do, can I even real, do I even really correctly remember how life used to be before September 11th, 2001? I can remember a plane trip that I took a, a, a girl that I was kind of seeing in college. Um, I was, we were on Southwest Airlines. We went to Austin from Lubbock and back. And this is, you know, I think the year, maybe two years before two, uh, 2001, uh, was it 98, 99, somewhere around there. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, evening flight, pretty girl, had fun, flew back. Everything was was fine. But after 2011, you know, I got, I hate to use the term, but everything changed, but it's been changed so much that I'm having difficulty remembering exactly what it was like before, before 2001. I'm not sure if that's on purpose or if that's just part of the deal of what's going on, but it does illustrate what we're into. We're into something that's so alien, I, I can't really even describe it to myself. And I certainly cannot describe it to my former self. And I find that to be a massive tell. And I immediately got pissed. I've been trying to keep it under covers, man. I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to worry about the war. I'm not, I'm not try, I'm trying to, to not worry about shit, but I'm a human being. I'm I'm seeing, you know, grandmothers in Russia having their life savings ripped away from them by our shitting himself in the pants potato head of a president laughing about it like that bitch Hillary Clinton was laughing about Gaddafi being destroyed in the streets. We're not, none of us know the real story of what Gaddafi was doing. Even with Pan Am Flight 183 or whatever the, whatever the hell it was. 
we were trained to hate all of these people. We were trained to hate Gaddafi. Like we were trained to hate Saddam Hussein. Like we were trained to hate the Mujahideen after quote unquote, we were told they were bad. We were trained to hate. And we don't know anything about what we're trying to hate. What we've been told to hate. We don't know dip. We don't know dick about it. It took me forever to figure out how easy it was to get me to want to go kill brown people in the Middle East because some idiot flew jets into the World Trade Centers. I wasn't on the plane. I don't know who actually flew the planes into the World Trade Center. I have questions and that's okay. I can't vet any of the stuff that's happened over the last 20 years, but we've had 9-11, we had 2008, we had COVID, and then we transitioned from COVID to the, to the war in Europe through the truckers in Canada, almost so fast it was like shit through a goose. And if there is almost any way that you can keep a semblance of what's actually happening about you, then you're doing better than me. Because honestly, this is some scary shit. And I'm not talking about the functional war in Russia. The fact that the truckers got their shit taken. The fact that we got lied to for two years about COVID. I'm talking about all of it. This is back to back to back to back civilization crushing things. And there just doesn't seem to be an end to it. And one thing that I can remember about pre-2001 is that as bad as it was, I never felt like this. And with that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.